update our art check. Best of podcast. We go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday on YouTube, 9 p.m. California time, and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later. You can always check things out at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. We take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast. Today's topic is processes and changing them up for different styles or different outcomes. Um, and so I, I thought it might be interesting to just go around uh, the table and maybe take like 30 seconds just real fast and we can we can dive in deeper on, on why and how and what and all that jazz. But just take like 30 seconds and go through like your basic process. Um, so, so I'll start. My basic process is... I'm going to do, I'm going to rough, rough something out. Um, so I'll start with an idea, usually doing word lists. Uh, I'll get an image in my head or something like that. And I'll, I'll kind of rough it out a few times really fast. And I try to use like a lot of arm movement. Then I'll go to thumbs and I can do that either on my iPad or, um, do that in a sketchbook. And then I will take that and I'll put it down on what I'm, what I'm going to pencil. I usually pencil digitally. And then I'll print that page out and, and ink over the top of it, scan that ink in, and, and color it digitally. That's that's my typical my typical process. Um, how about you, Scott? What uh, what's your typical process? So I usually do my idea generation by using like nonlinear note taking, like a mind map. You know, mm-hmm. start with the middle and then just kind of branch out from there. Um, then I'll get the general idea from that. Um, sometimes, depending on on where this kind of what kind of story it is if it's if it's sort of a story that goes from like point a to point b sometimes i'll kind of map out the trajectory of the different characters and sort of a map like and with my my comic book young and the dead it's it's all very they're moving from one place to another constantly so just to know where and then sometimes the characters split up so sometimes i will just make little indications of this character is he over here at this particular time and vice versa but when I kind of have that all planned out, then I go to a very rough, very small thumbnails um, just to kind of figure out, you know, where, you know, what's kind of going on in each scene. Um, and then based on that, I will kind of make a little larger thumbnail, go back over it and really get my panels. And somewhere in between this, I, I do do a script. Um, but at this point, it's, it's just kind of basically what's going on. And then once I kind of have that, then I'll go in and then I'll, I'll flesh out a script. Um, and I, I usually go, I don't know if I need, if I would recommend this or not, but I usually do go full scripts um, just because it's easier for me. Um, and then from there, I usually take, uh, well, I'm doing a different process now. I'm sure we'll get into it, but in the past, um, you know, I'll take my, my, um, thumbs and then I'll kind of blow them up and then on a tracing table. And then now I'm kind of working, trying to do more digital. Um, and then I'll just start sketching out my, my pages. And then from there, it's just, you know, you know, pencils, inks, letters, colors, if I'm doing colors or gray tones or whatever. So, and then graphic design for whatever, you know, whatever the book is and all that kind of stuff. Cool. How about you, Josh? What's your what's your typical process? It's weird, um, and it varies based on the project. But I mean, the main thing that I tend to like to start with is a script. Um, 
And and generally that that wasn't always the case. I used to kind of freestyle it and write it in thumbnails. And I just found that I ended up with a lot of like incoherent stories with plot holes and stuff because I was like forgetting some of the basics of like writing that you learn in like, you know, intro classes and stuff. Right. And uh and because I was like kind of excusing it with like, well, but I'm doing art, you know. And uh <laughs> and what I realized after doing that quite a few times, uh, I realized like this just doesn't work. Like I actually have to have written scripts. Yeah. So I write a script like that's pretty vivid. And like, if I have an imagery come to mind, I'll write it up. Um, but it's not like a formal script, like a film script. So, um, generally I won't even put like the character name because I know the character, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll just put the dialogue and then I'll have like, you know, a couple action descriptions, or if I have a certain shot in mind, I'll write it down. Um, and then, of course, that's free to change. So um, from there, I go to, like, these really indecipherable um, roughs or, like, thumbnails. And uh, if you guys ever look at, like, my Instagram or whatever, you might look at my thumbnails and just have no idea what they are. <laughs> and um, in, in that case, it's, like, it's a weird thing, but, like, I've never been an artist who could thumbnail coherently. Um, so when I thumbnail for clients, usually what they're seeing is like a refined rough, yeah. <laughs> um, because my thumbnails are just nonsense. Like they're, they're like a little language for me because I know what they mean and I know what they're signifying. And usually I'll tone them too, just to get an idea of the mood that I want with just like a, a, a one tone marker. And also to kind of establish a little bit of the lighting and work out how I want that to work from there. Um, I start sketching and I also start gathering reference. So I, I try to use as much reference as possible, depending on the style too. Like if something's going to be really cartoon modern, then maybe not so much reference, except maybe like if I'm drawing a room, like maybe occasionally look up some rooms just so I, I think of details that I wouldn't naturally think of. Um, because there's weird details, like there's our uh, crumb like when he was talking about using photo reference, people were asking why he, why he uses photo reference for like buildings and stuff. And he was like, well, you see that weird pipe right there? He's like, I would have never invented that, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause there's just like these weird things about reality that you just wouldn't invent. Um, and so it makes them kind of more personal and stuff. So anyhow, I assemble all of that. Um, I like to work out my panel borders at the, at that point. Um, and kind of work out like what my layout's going to look like, rough in where my type is, and I do most of that on Illustrator um, just because it's such a good tool for just like measurement and stuff. Um, from there, I'll usually like use that as a template to then pencil. Um, I'll do rough pencils and then type pencils and, uh, and then usually print those out and... Um, and then ink over them. So that's one version. Another version is I'll kind of use that um, grid as a template, and then I will basically start penciling directly on the page too. So there's like there's a couple methods I use, and it depends on the style and the look I want. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because it's very flexible. It's just kind of um, I tend to have this attitude of whatever works and whatever kind of gets the um, – the look I'm going for and like the kind of feeling I'm going for. So the, yeah, that, from, that process could change in like a week. 
And yeah, and for me, I I tend to do whatever is the least likely to to give me more resistance. So like hmm. like uh, I'll, I'll find sometimes, um, or if I were to rephrase that, whatever is the least intimidating at the time, which seems to change all the time. But like sometimes, um, you know, turning on my iPad. And jumping in and starting to sketch is, is the, the quickest and easiest thing because I've got it with me or whatever. Um, because I have literally had times where uh, flipping through my sketchbook to find the next available page um, is, is like too much. <laughs> so I'm like, but if I can just turn it on and open up a new, open up a new thing, then I'm, then I'm good. Um, but then other times, uh, like the zooming and everything becomes, becomes so much such a problem because I can just zoom infinitely almost digitally that the that the paper is a lot better and I noticed I haven't sketched on paper in probably a month and so um, I did today and I remember several times the desire to kind of zoom in I almost pinched pinched the paper a few times like being like oh I need to I need to kind of noodle this detail and you can't on paper which I really like so um for, for thumbs and things like that. But the thing that I don't like about paper is when I'm just trying to solve the problem of layout, I really like digital because um, I can just like lasso something and flip it or make it bigger or rotate it or, you know, like just take that hand and just turn it or whatever. Um, whereas on paper, I've got to either do another thumbnail or... Um, like make a little note to myself. Like a lot of my thumbnails will have little arrows reminding me of what the crap it was that I just drew. <laughs> and so um, I like it. I like it digitally that way. But then the the temptation to like go too far and finish it digitally, um, you know, before I'm ready is really is really strong. And so paper I feel like is limited enough that it keeps me in the stage that I should be in. Um, so I still haven't really come to like a like a good or consistent stage of, of like what, where I start. But you guys both mentioned where you're coming up with ideas. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, one of the things that I do with that is I do mind maps like Scott. Um, but I also, if I've got characters and I want to make sure that I have round characters, I have a Trello board and I'll open up a card per Character and on each card, I've got a template that I copy and paste in there, um, and I and I write down um, what it is that they want, what it is that they they fear, um, and uh, and kind of a little a little bio of like who they are, background, where they came from, or whatever. And if I know if I know what they want and I know what they fear, then I can kind of give them a pretty good arc because they just have to face their fear to get what they want. Um, and so I will do. Tiny little, tiny little character bios for for every major character in a Trello board, and then I will also on Trello lay out um, story beats and character beats. Like this is when this person realizes this, or you know, major events um, that happens. Because I usually have, I usually build kind of from scenes in my mind, like um, of what will work. But then I can reorder those and rearrange them because they're just cards, so it's really drag and drop. And so for me, Trello is way easier than like post-it notes, which I move around enough to where they, they kind of lose their sticking ability um, or, or like a cork board or something, which is just bigger. So um, from, like idea, from the idea generation stage, if I'm, if I'm mapping out a story, I'll usually map it out on Trello because I can kind of move stuff around a lot. 
So uh, the the other the other part of this topic that I thought would be interesting um, is when do you when do you change your process um, yeah. and why? Because I think there are times where you know we intentionally do something different than what we normally do. Um, and, and there's and there, it gives us different results. So Scott, is there a time where you are like, I normally do this, but this time I'm gonna I'm gonna do something different because and what is that and why? Yeah. Um, so right now, like, so my ongoing series, Young and the Dead, it's a kids versus zombie story. Um, it's you know it's got some horrific elements in, in it because it's zombies, but it's it's more like a kid adventure you know, theme story like Goonies or, um, you know, Monster Squad or Stranger Things, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. it can get dark, but but it's a, it's also a fun adventure. Um, the story that I'm doing for the 100-day um, anthology project is a little darker. Um, so I want to I want to go with a little darker theme, you know. And, at, you know, when I was in high school, like I'm sure most people when they're younger, everything you did was like ultra violent and like people cutting people's heads off and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of moved away. And what I'm doing now isn't, isn't violent like that, but it's very, but it's still a very dark story. So, um, I used to get, I used to do a lot of, you know, spot uh, black spotting and things like that and heavy blacks and things like that. Um, and uh, with Young and the Dead, I kind of moved away from it. Most of it is just line art. But I think I'm going to experiment with some more, you know, just heavy heavy inks, heavy blacks, um, maybe some splatter effects, things like that. Um, and maybe just try some different rendering techniques. I'll, I'll see when I get to it. I want it to look different, but it, it's still like it's still, still maybe it's just the style of the way I draw. But some of the, a lot of the characters as I'm drawing them now still look like they could fit in the Young and the Dead world. Um, but I think maybe when I actually start rendering them, and depending on you know the, the shadows and everything I add, they hopefully they'll turn out to be a little different. Um, so as far as that, you know. As far as style, that's that's you know based on the theme of the book. That's one of the reasons I would kind of change the way I'm doing something. And so um, you're, you're changing you're changing the the technique and the style um, that you're executing it. Do you do you when you do that? Do you have to change your environment at all? For example, um, if I'm working on something and I need it to have a particular mood um, or or energy or or pace or something. I'll change like the music that I'm listening to while I'm while I'm doing that because that drastically impacts like the speed of the line and and, and kind of the mood. Is there is there something along those lines that you do? Where you're like normally I do this, but because I'm going for this different style, I'm going to change that up and do X. Not not really. Although that might you know maybe that would you know give me some you know put me in a different frame of mind and everything. Um, but yeah, not really. I mean, there's, there's certain times in my life where, and it doesn't always pertain to art, but you know, I'll listen to certain kind of music for certain things to help me get through certain, sometimes I just want to, you know, put on some like depressed. I know like when I was going through my, my divorce, I was listening to a lot, a lot heavier music, a lot darker music, stuff like that. And just like, you know, basically, you know, that kind of stuff. And it kind of mixed in with pause. It was weird. Cause it would be, it was like a good, you know, uh, I guess mix of both. Um, uh, 
and I don't know why that is, but you know, so there there are times certain, but I don't know with comics, it just seems like I don't know. I, I guess I don't. I don't, and I haven't listened to you know. Mostly, I'm listening to podcasts and and you know other people. You know art. You know my my art friends on YouTube and stuff, and while I'm drawing, and that's kind of the constant. So, yeah. um, but I don't know. That's that definitely is intriguing to kind of think about, but yeah. but for me, not so much. Because if I'm I'm just thinking like when I when I am inking a bunch of foliage, I've got like a like a forest scene or something that's really natural, you know, through on like the Decemberists or I have a playlist on Spotify that's called Irish drinking music. Uh, I lived in Scotland for a couple of years. And so like the whole Celtic folk vibe is cool. But then if I'm doing like an action sequence, you know, I'll throw on like, you know, tech nine or, uh, you know, or three days grace or, or, you know, Megadeth or something, you know, um, to kind of get that energy. How, how about you, Josh? What do you uh, what do you find? If do you do you change things up if you want to change uh, the mood or the execution that you normally do? Yeah, yeah, a lot actually. Um, it, it's weird because it's like even with quarterly stories, it's like that was kind of one of the main impetus or inciting ideas behind it was the idea of like having a switch in styles that alternates between kind of like childhood like sunday comic strip kind of look um sort of like a mary blair if she couldn't draw kind of look (laughs) and then um and and then that mixed with like kind of a a very heavily rendered hatched um very kind of representational version of reality and so like having those two realities kind of merge and meld and there's actual points in the comic where i have the two melt into each other um and I'm going to be doing a lot of that as it continues just to kind of show this like divergent thought between memory, like how distant memory kind of creates like a more, um, a more kind of semiotic world. And then, and then uh, more recent memory has like more focus and more um, clarity. So it's like, it's this weird thing, but it's like one of those things that I love doing. I, I love um, shifting styles and I can work in multiple styles. There's a few that I really like and I'm really drawn to. And it's, it's very much like Scott was describing where it's like whatever kind of suits the story. So even in quarterly stories, like there've been times where just to fit the mood of the story, like it fit to have it have like an airplane manual, you know? (laughs) And it's like, so in that case I'm using really generic, like linear line and, um, it just kind of depends on what the story needs. And like, to me, my favorite stories serve the story. Um, and the art kind of goes to like enforce the story. So like, that's my interest. I'm not super interested in making a story where it's just all about the art and not about the story, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's weird, but, um, as for music, I used to listen to a lot of music to kind of get in the mood and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm very much where Scott is in a sense of like, like I, I tend to, if I'm like writing, I actually like silence. I like a lot of silence. If yeah. I'm like writing, let I like me, to let me focus. Ask you this. Silence with noise canceling headphones or silence, just silence. Just silence. Not, it doesn't have to be like peak silence, but I but I do like a, to be alone and to be able to think and not have a lot of noise. See, I am so easily distracted that I'm finding 
sometimes I will put headphones on and not turn any music on just because it's like like if I could have a sensory deprivation chamber, I think I could, <laughs> I think I could get a lot more done because I am literally like uh, you know like a like a small child where every noise or every movement out of the corner of my eye can completely derail me. And so sometimes, sometimes I will turn on like because I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I listen to a ton of podcasts and, and things like that all the time. And one of my problems is that I, because that's what I do all the time, uh, when I sit down to when I sit down to to draw, if it's the same thing, if it's the book that I've been you know listening to all day as I walk to class or you know, as I'm grading or whatever, and then I turn that on again, there's nothing different, and so it doesn't put me in a different state of mind. Um, yeah, and I can get super distracted because you know, and, and I, I I realized today that having headphones on is way different for me than having speakers, no matter how good the speakers are, because I can still hear the footsteps upstairs, I can still hear the creaking of the door as somebody comes in, and I'm like, oh, who's here? You know, or whatever. Um, you know, I, I've been distracted by my, my nine-year-old daughter's stupid watch digital alarm going off. And I'm like, oh, I wonder why she said it at that point. And then I'm just gone. And so I – oh, man, I don't know. I can understand, though I don't think I would ever do this, I can understand why some artists who work from home are like, I need a studio. And they'll, they'll yeah. go and they'll rent a studio space because they – you have 100% control of the environment then. You know, like, there's there's nothing, no family or friends or other people watching the TV or whatever is going to jump in. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think I just need to yeah. get better better noise-canceling headphones. That's my main point of that. That's actually a really kind of cool idea. I didn't even <laughs> think of that. But it's usually I just wait for people to be asleep. And, and actually, it's weird, but, like, for me, that's when ideas really generate when I write the best is usually at night. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it, it's a fascinating thing to me, like the difference between that and um, like, like create our own projects are so fun because you're getting to kind of conceive this whole thing from the beginning. But another part that I just wanted to make sure we mention in it too, is like when you're, when you're kind of going through that process, that one of the things that changed about my process, like I was saying about writing, how like I just had forgotten some fundamentals of writing because it was comics. And f- even though I know there's brilliantly written comics out there, I just, for some reason had convinced myself, like I don't have to go through the process of editing. I don't have to go through the process, like these different processes that you'd have to go through for any short story, <laughs> you know, yeah. if it were written. So, um, so another part of my process that I find really important is to have a few people I know who, um, are English majors and are word nerds and story nerds like go through my my stuff and give me really honest feedback um, because that it's like um, I think we mentioned this yesterday and I'm forgetting where it's from but I really like the the quote the idea of the battle being won or lost in the rough and that's that's true for the script too it's like if you're working with a really weak script your art can be so good and it, it, the story it, the is not going to be polished enough from the art you know right. I mean the art can do a lot but um, but like having a solid script having a solid story having solid text it's like anything on top of that that's art will suddenly be um, that much stronger 
So like I always recommend, you know, if you're if you're tackling something, especially something that's really wordy, um, you know, have an editor, have somebody you rely on who's gonna like give you directly honest feedback. Like, hey, that doesn't work. Hey, that's a spelling error. Hey, that's redundant. You know, like just typical feedback because uh, it'll help. You know, uh, on a four-page story like the one we're working on, maybe not as much, but um, but I think. I think it is like to me that's a new part to my process is making sure I'm getting a lot of feedback early on before I go and like finish pages, you know. Yeah, and I'm reading I'm reading this book um, and it is a dense book. It's a hard it's a hard read. I think you'd have to read it like a textbook where you're studying it and marking it up to really get the full value of it, but it's called Story. Um, and it's talking about um, I forget the author, but he's the, he's the guy that did the preface to um, uh, the War of Art. Anyway, he writes this book called Story, which is basically how to write a screenplay, and it nice. is fascinating. But one of the things that he says um, that people do incorrectly is they jump into the actual dialogue of the script too early. Um, without figuring out the story first. And so he said, here's how it normally goes. How it normally goes is, you know, you write your first draft, and it's great, you know. And then, uh, and then you take that draft, and you show it to a bunch of your friends and family, and they tell you that you're wonderful, um, you know, and then you spend the next three years kind of rewriting that draft over and over again. The whole time, kind of, you have this one kind of glory scene that you love, um, and, uh, and as long as that scene's in there, you're, you're happy or whatever, and it doesn't matter what else gets cut, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he says, but the way you should do it is don't write a single scene. Don't write a single uh, line of dialogue at all. Um, you should figure out all of the story beats. Like, what is it that you are trying to, and, and just write in, in bullet list form, um, you know, the order of events um, and why, you know, and how, how one thing carries into the next thing so that you understand the structure of your story and then meet with somebody that you really trust their opinion and don't bring anything with you. They're not going to read over your words. Just take 10 minutes and tell them your story. And if you can't tell the story in 10 minutes, um, then it's, you know, it's too long and it's too crazy or whatever. Also, if at any point in time in your 10 minute story, um, the other person is getting bored, it's not a good story. You know, if you can't if you can't tell it succinctly well and keep people engaged, then they're not going to stick around for ninety minutes to two hours um, to do that. They're going to get bored then too. He said, after you nail a ten minute telling of the events of your story, then you can start writing the dialogue and and, and whatever on that. And I thought that was really fascinating because a lot of time we do get kind of fixated on this one panel or this one splash page or this one. I love this character that I just invented, or I just. I've just spent, you know, a week doing all of this world building and whatever. And so then you jump in and you haven't figured out, like, what the story is actually about or what happens in the story that's important or why. And you just yeah. fall in love with that scene or that line of dialogue and everything kind of builds around that. Yeah, and I think the kind of thing you're describing, it's like you can accidentally end up with a decent story if you don't have a map. But the likelihood of like reaching a destination without a map is pretty slim. Yeah. And um and so you're just slimming down the likelihood and you're also increasing the amount of, of post production, like like edits you're gonna have to do 
to like make earlier points that maybe were just rambles like suddenly significant and and you can do that but it's like it's like trying to kind of tie together a million threads as opposed to if you know where you're weaving it's like your threads are all tied by the end and so like at that point editing's about polishing it rather than like trying to find all the closed gaps that were missed yeah. And so, like, you'll notice that, like, with, you know, serialized TV shows that are, like, super fascinating, and then the, the finale is, like, completely un, unresolved feeling. Yeah. And it's partially because, you know, there's a bunch of writers in that very position where they're, like, we've been doing this thing for years, and then we diverged over here, and, like, now we have to tie it all together. And it's um, it's a scary point to reach if you don't have a map, whereas if you're on the map, you can be, like, where am I again? Oh yeah, I'm right here. And um, that'll direct all your conversations because they'll all have extra significance because they'll all be tying in with the story. Hopefully not too transparent of significance, but yeah, yeah that's great advice. Well, um, and, and a really good example of what you're talking about is, uh, is George Lucas's star Wars, his original trilogy. Um, that first movie had a lot of really interesting elements in it because he was robbing them from robbing. He was stealing them and, and, and paying homage to a lot of really well-told stories. Um, but if it weren't for his wife um, and, and, and kind of her team of editors, uh, it would have been garbage. It would have been nonsensical stuff. Um, and she pulled it together and edited it in a way that made, uh, made it coherent. And most people don't realize that that, that actually is why it's a cohesively told story is because yeah. the editor in post um, really pieced everything together in a way that made it like a, like a logical narrative without, without yeah. that, it would have been like most of his experimental films, which looked beautiful and made no sense. And, and he intentionally says, I love kind of the avant-garde like art style where I don't have to tell a story. I just, I just like making weird stuff on the screen and then she's the one that came in and kind of pieced it all together. But if you don't, if you want to avoid that, uh, you start with good story arcs. Like you know, like what is it yeah. that? What are you trying to say in the story? Like what is the point? Um, and uh, and something I've heard several people say uh, that is also in this book, and I don't know if he's the originator of it or not, um, but that every story is about you know a, a few different things. It's either about like. Um, you know, good versus evil or overcoming, you know, some sort of oppression or whatever. And he's like, and whether it's a, a comedy or, or a tragedy is really just whether, you know, the hero dies or not, you know, it, it, and it's kind yeah. of, it's kind of an interesting thing, but, but, um, the idea that there are certain storytelling conventions, um, and when you should follow those and when you should break them is kind of interesting. Um, and if you, yeah. if you set things up wrong, um, you're not allowed to break them without massively disappointing the audience. But if you set things up correctly, um, then you can. You can break those things and you're, and you're fine. Yeah, and the neat thing is, like, because I have a pretty clear map for quarterly stories, and, like, the neat thing is even when I've had pages that seem like they're diverging, I know where they're going. Yeah. And so that's the exciting thing because I'm like, I know I'm kind of misdirecting someone with this part but I know how that's going to tie in later and kind of create more emotional impact. And so like it actually makes it more fun too. Um, the only downside is it also makes it slightly frustrating because you're years ahead of 
you know, uh, people when you're working on a long project. And, um, uh, like the one, one concern I have, because mine is going to be in multiple graphic novels is like my first graphic novel is going to end slightly unresolved. And so I'm going to give it some kind of resolution just to like not leave the reader like super depressed. But at the same time, um, you know, it is going to kind of hang on a thread at the end. And that's, that's going to be really interesting because I'm, I'm not sure how people will respond to that, but I'm, but I'm excited to kind of get there, you know? Um, I don't know. Scott, like, what about you? Like with, with yours, you have your whole arc mapped out, right? Uh, more or less. I mean, I, I, I definitely know where the ending's going to be. There's a lot of things that I'm uh, really worried about. I always worry about like plot holes and things like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes those are just inevitable, but so there's a lot of like planning and everything to make sure I didn't, you know, that I'm trying to cover all my bases and everything. And, um, there's still a couple things that like these next two issues, I'm going to have to write them both together, you know, the whole script. Cause I, I've got, like I said, I've kind of got the ending and I've got a rough idea of where they're going, but yeah. in order to make sure this whole thing, because right now, you know, I've only had so much time to wrap everything out, so I need to um, need to kind of, you know, make sure that I write those two uh, issues together and and all that. And you know, and there's something that I introduce in this issue four that's coming up, um, and I would have kind of liked to inter- introduce it a little earlier, but um, so that's another element that I've got to kind of figure out how how to make that work into the story. And I know this is all vague because I'm kind of being cryptic about it, but, um, give us all the spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, I, I always, I I have, I have the ending kind of mapped out and everything. And it's just a matter of getting to a place where, where every, all the pieces fall into place. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, it does. That does. Cool. Yeah. So uh, we kind of diverged from we kind of diverged from process, at least from like yeah. the execution of the art. <clears throat> um, do, we, do we want to keep going, or we, we've gone about an hour? I, I mean, I think or I think we touched on, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I mean, yeah. I we could we could okay. talk like you know we could talk tools all day long. Maybe maybe that's another episode, yeah. but. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, so what tools were those that you mentioned in your video, Scott? <laughs> oh, the, the white gel pen? <laughs> it's the white gel pen. Uh, it's a Sino gel pen. That's and the one I that I get. get that where? Where can I get? Oh, you have a link. Oh, okay. so it's it's in the it's in the description of all my videos. Scott, mm. I have an idea for you. I think you should yeah. print a shirt that has the answers to the most commonly asked questions <laughs> in your yeah. videos. Because <laughs> my tools. Well, are, yeah. To be fair, to be fair, some of those I don't. I mean, I don't mention. They and I. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that those links are in the description. But the, it's so those don't. Those kind don't really bother me. But it's just the one where I actually in the video that they're commenting on. I make it's very clear that I mentioned where it is and that there's a link in the description. Yeah. And I still get questions. So I mean, I don't. Yeah, that I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. All right. Well, uh, if you want to check out Scott's work, you can go to cirqueworks.com. And uh, he's got a comic starter kit that he's giving away for free. 
um, if you sign up for his email newsletter. And uh, wait, 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 Corey, how much is it? Oh, actually, it's free, and he accepts PayPal or credit card for that payment. That's um, insane. Yeah. And so if you uh, if you want to do that, you can get on that, and you can check out the other work that he's done. Um, recently launched a, a new website that looks great. And uh, you can check out Josh's stuff at quarterlystories.com. And if you go to quarterlystories.com, you will see these pages, and you will see the two styles that Josh was talking about today as far as the, uh, the more cartoony Sunday comic style and the more realistic representative style. And uh, I say this every time, but really, if you haven't read that, because I, I've done this where I've, you know, followed somebody for a while and I interact with them on social media. Maybe I watch their videos or listen to their podcasts, whatever. And then I never actually go and read their work. Um, go, go read Scott's work and go read Josh's work because it's really good. Um, it's really entertaining. And as always, you can find my stuff at CoreyKerr.com. I've got all kinds of things there um, that you can just go look at. Um, and you're on my channel, and so if you get a chance to subscribe, ring that bell, share this with somebody, uh, it's super helpful. If you're listening to this after the fact on the podcast or whatnot, just know that we go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9 p.m. California time. We'd love to have you here live um, and comment on the on those uh, and all that jazz. And so there's there there's all the plugs. So go uh, go check all that stuff out and. Uh, Thumbs up and star ratings and all that jazz are really helpful. But the best thing that you guys can do is, uh, if this is interesting, if you know somebody that might be interested in, uh, in listening and listening to people talk about their process, talk about the the struggles that they're having, uh, different advice from different perspectives, and 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 all that jazz, then uh, tell people about this. Tell people about the forty eight hour art check because. Word of mouth is the is the single best way to, to spread things, and so we appreciate you guys watching and listening, and uh, and we'll catch you guys in a few days. Bye.